We are back. Episode 16. Dated for June 8th, Saturday morning. And it's been several weeks since we've been here. Zach, how have you been? I've been better than the Indians. I don't know if that's saying much or not, but... It usually isn't, but (laughs) I mean, we'll get into all that. Uh, The way we're going to break this up today is we're going to go with Indians in the first block, Browns, minicamp, and all the just random, not-needed drama that's been spurned up by someone in particular. His name might be Tony Grossi, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So first off, I want to start with this Indians team. The best way to put this is I saw this from the Indians' Twitter account the other night, and it was, you know... We, it wasn't our night, but we still won the series on to the next one. You're in this stage in the season as a fan where it's like, great, we won that series. It still does not mean a crock of crap because we're still ten and a half games out. Right. You know, that's all the Twins really need to do coming into the series is just win one. You can lose you lose two or three and you're still fine. You only lose a game on them. And when you, when you have that big of a lead going into the series, it really is irrelevant. It really is. And especially when you look at where you guys were going next in terms of your series. You're going up to play Detroit. Okay, if you don't take three from them, shame on you. Right. Meanwhile, the Indians are playing the Yankees this weekend. And that's a situation where they can just grow that lead even higher. So it didn't really matter to them. No, not at all. And I, I said shortly after our last recorded podcast that, you know what? The way this team's going, we're going to be 10 games back by the end of the first week of June. It it took them before the end of May to fall 10 games back. Well, let's figure out why we got to this point. So we're at this point because this team is playing wildly inconsistent. No shocker, you've known that since the first weekend. But what we mean by the term inconsistent, though, is they've had some highs. You know, they took two or three in uh, Boston, and then right. they just took two or three from Minnesota. But when you lose three or four on the road to the White Sox, right? At this point, my White Sox second place prediction isn't out of the question. No, They're it's right not there in the mix. It's not. You just didn't think the team that would end up being third in that scenario would not be the team you're rooting for. But th- this team, they play well when they're playing good teams, and they play like ass when they're playing bad. Exactly. And honestly, too, it even spans back before even the Boston series because we were talking. They had that eleven-game homestand. We were saying, okay, you got to win seven, maybe eight of those eleven games. They only won four, and three of those were against Baltimore. So they won three of four against Baltimore, and then you get swept by the A's, and then you win one of four against the Rays, who are a good team. We're gonna call them a good team. Yeah, I would say so. They're second place in their division. Exactly. So, against good competition, we only win one. And then, yeah, then you follow that up, you win two of three in Boston, which, difficult to do. I know Boston's not having the season they would hope for, but also they are the defending World Series champions. And then, like you said, you lose three of four to the White Sox. That's terrible. You went one and six in your season series against an A's team that's under 500. Not good. That statistically has, like, less than a 1% chance to make the playoffs. Not Good. And we were talking off air about this, and you know, you said we're just this close from winning this amount of games where I can be like, eh, back off or on the fence, kind of leaning one way or another. What you would feel about this team making the run into the late summer, going into the fall, possibly making the playoffs. And 
I guess we can kind of coattail this into our first topic with the Indians today is why would you want that? Like looking up and down this roster, even if they somehow back their way into that wild card game and waste your uh, waste one game of your life in the playoffs, what's the point? Entertainment until we get to week one of the NFL season. That is what I want. Entertain me for that long. But is this roster really going to entertain you regardless if they win enough games to slide into that spot? Eh, no, but I don't like not caring about anything. I have to care about something. Oh, trust me, man. There were the years where we had Jack Hanahan and whatnot, and I had to care <laughs> about that mess. Although, that actually, thinking about guys back in that era, one of the guys that came late in that era was uh, Juan Uribe, who was actually Ooh. at the beginning of that... Oh, this is live. Oh, I got distracted, so... Warning track power by Ploiecki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but back on topic. So, Juan Uribe... Um, he was there right at the tail begin or the beginning of when we started, you know, that incredible run in 2016. Right. right. Um, he's a guy that comes to mind when I saw this news clipping that came by today, especially with all the roster happenings around the league. I like to take take a look at uh, MLB trade rumors and whatnot. And one of the guys they mentioned uh, going on the IL, the 10 day IL, was Mitch Haniger. Now I don't know if you saw his injury in, or distinction. But it was from a scenario that happened a couple nights ago in a game versus uh, Houston. They went 13 innings. And I know you're distracted by, I think, oh, is that Naquin? Naquin home run. Okay. Um, well, can, you, can you get that little box off? <laughs> we'll, it's a little distracting. We'll get, take, taking up three quarters of the screen. We'll get that. <laughs> um, the point I'm trying to make is Hannah Gurn, that 13-inning game against the Astros, fouled a ball off... A certain region you don't want to hit it yeah, I think off I, of. Yeah, I think I, I think I saw that. So he just went on the... Oh, actually, it's on the ticker right now. Can you say the designation for why he's on the 10-day IL? Ruptured testicle. Yes, he ruptured a testicle. Now, thinking back and why I'm making this connection to Juan Uribe, it was one of my favorite all-time <laughs> injury designations. What was it? was bruised testicle. He yeah. took like a, a ground ball. I think it was in like Texas or maybe he, Oakland. And missed about 10 days also with that. Um, this isn't as funny. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. You know, a fellow brother out there is losing one of his most important utensils. But it just kind of made me remember that we have some of the most dramatic and just wild decks. You can put literally anything for the reason why you're going on the DL. And they'll put it up as like an official thing. Yeah. But that's that's hard to think about. That That hurts. Yeah, I I feel like we speak for all all people that have testicles when we say that. Well, okay, I think, if you, if you I just think we can, you just hear that and then you're just teasing peace to them to that guy. I mean, honestly, that's that's terrible. <laughs> no, yeah, this I, I can't imagine the pain. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't. I I think I'm just gonna leave it at that. That the MLB can get rather wild with how they d- design their injury report, and at the same time, you know, foul balls are wicked, man. They can take wild bounces off your bat. Yeah, and that's one example of it. But coattailing what we were talking about about this tribe team and whether you can actually be excited about them going into the second half of the season, uh, the guys over at SB Nations Let's Go Tribe has a lot of articles out right now, kind of you know, getting the pulse of the nation, of the tribe nation, basically around the lines of 
you know, freaking out. Like, when should we start considering selling? So I got this from Alex Hooper over there. It's when should the Indians consider selling realistically? Um, they pretty much acknowledge the fact that fans are in a legit worrisome situation and it's enough for them to throw their hands in the air and cry sell and pinning for the exit franchise mode without saving <laughs> move, which I, I think was a really good analogy for, I think, how a lot of fans feel about the season. Like, it's just, you feel like the lack of moves that were made in the offseason, you wasted away 2019. Yes, 100%. Now they're back to five, around five hundred, ten and a half games out. We've talked about this, uh, depending on, of course, what happens tonight against the Yankees. Um, the second wild card is still in reach, technically. I think they're like maybe two only games out, two games back coming into yeah, today, which isn't bad. Um, the only thing is, is realistically, this how long? And it comes up in the article. How long do you have to wait until you set that sell date? Or how long do you think it takes before even that wild card spot's decided where you're not going to make a play for it? Forget about the division. Well, I I don't think it's out of the question to consider the Indians neither selling or buying at the trade deadline, much like they did this past offseason. I mean, I feel like if you're within five, six games of the wild card when it comes near the end of July, I I wouldn't put it past the Dolans to just not do anything. Because then again, this is also the same owners that they they try to budget just to make the playoffs. So currently, according to Fangrass, the division race is rather lopsided. So they have the Indians at a 6.2% chance entering as of Friday to win the division, which is um, not very good. How high are the Twins? Just put that in perspective, or do you just um, have the Indians' information? I think, well, I believe if it's six to win the division for the Indians, I'm going to guess it's 94 for the Twins. So you're given 0% chance? To, I, I just mean, I feel like it's a little early. You can't completely discredit the, the White oh, I'm Sox. I'm not doing it. I'm just assuming uh, no, 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 it at this no, I'm point. Just, I know, I know. They're, we're 10 and a half back. They're what? Like Only 12. 12? I, yeah. mean, I mean, after the after the series with the White Sox, we had we were, we had the same record as them. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, I mean, even I overrated the White Sox coming into this year, and I don't think there's any realistic opportunity for them to come back from 12 games. Well, also, too, with the White Sox, this was the same team that after the first series the Indians play, we both were questioning how they were even a major league baseball team. Yeah, well... They had it. It was a a boatload of blunders. Yeah, this first series, I I think I know what you're talking about. Even then, they split games. I mean, for the most part discrediting this past four-game stint we had with them. I think the record was, like, split down the middle, like, was it, like, four and four? Yeah. Something like that. So, while they had been bad early on, it just tells you how inconsistent the Indians have been up to that point. Which is honestly one of the most frustrating parts about this team. It's like, okay, if you beat the bad teams and lose to the good teams, then at least we know kind of where we're at. But when you win against the good teams, or at least do okay against the good teams, and then lose to bad teams, then it's just like, what the hell are you doing? Because I know I know you're capable of doing this and performing at this high level. Why can't you figure this out and do it over the course of the season? Here's another point you can make. Fangraphs also has, in terms of the wild card spot, the Indians have a 30% chance to make even that. And that's taking into consideration what they have on their roster now. So if you expect a guy like Paul Dolan to not make any big additions to improve the roster... Now, he's shown it in the past two, year, two three years that he's willing to do that. With this core of guys, I don't know how willing he is to do that. Does 
his unwillingness to go after that make it more likely that a selling date moves up more and more because this team does not progress as it should? I mean, yeah, we'll probably move up. Um, I just, like you said, like I don't necessarily see this team going anywhere it, the way that it's currently constructed, as you were saying before the podcast. But also at the same time, like, this same team won two of three in Boston. Like, it's it can be a good team when it wants to be a good team. Or when they all perform at the level that we're all that we all know that they can perform at. And I think one of the most frustrating things is too, like, look at Trevor Bauer. And he's just getting pissed off. He's like, Oh, I only gave up a couple hard hit balls on in this outing and they were all outs and just like, Okay, but you're getting shelled, so obviously you're not doing something right here. No, yeah, guys like Carl Willis and Tito talked about this a couple weeks ago. Basically, you know, his training outside of his starts is so overbearing that he's almost ruining his mechanics. I think the one thing they said is he loves to use the weighted baseball mm-hmm. and his bullpens and whatnot and helps him with his velocity, his velo, his spin rate and whatnot. And when he comes into the game, if they feel like he overthrows it, and which is why he's kind of weak on his command right now and why he's getting shelled. I don't know if they've been making subsequent adjustments since then. Since doesn't look like it. I, I mean, if you look at the game a couple of nights ago, yeah, it doesn't look like it. He's getting hit hard, and I mean, granted, there's, he, at least he's going deep in the games because they're just like, you know what, we know you can pitch 110 pitches. We're going to either win or lose with you. So right, might yeah, as well. no. Well, you talk about like overexertion, that kind of thing, based off of his training program, but also that just gets exemplified when you go over and you throw 120 pitches for five outings. Right. It it takes a toll. Right. And especially when you're using the weighted ball situation, it can hurt your command. So you're trying to, you're so muscle memory trying to overperform with that heavy baseball that when you overdo it and it's muscle memory trying to throw that lighter baseball, you're going to miss your spot more often than not. Right. You're training your body to do that. And you see it in the games, you know you have, whether it's Polecki or most likely it's Rob- Robo back there with him, he's missing his spot by at least five to seven inches almost every pitch. And that's right. why he's missing towards the middle of the plate. The worst spot to miss. Exactly. And obviously against Major League Pitching, if you hang a curveball right over the heart of the plate, it's going deep. Which is exactly what he did, not once, but twice to Max Kepler in that Twins game. Yeah. The first at-bat of the game, he hung one over the middle, and Kepler took it out the right with ease. And it was a repeat of the same at-bat two innings later. Yeah. It's... He... See, I... For the all the reasons that I liked him, just because he was so different and everything, is now becoming sort of a point of annoyance. It's coming. It. It's almost becoming an Achilles heel for him. Yeah. Like, it's becoming his own downfall. Right. I mean, obviously he's out there trying, but also at the same time, like, okay, something that you've been doing over the last five, six outings hasn't worked. So what changes are you are you making? Or are you just kind of sticking with what you're doing and then hoping that it gets better? I mean, we're gonna find out. I don't like I said, I don't know if he's made the subsequent uh, just edits to his process right. that can help with that stuff. I mean, if anything, that's gonna show what kind of influence Carl Willis has on this thing because I'm saying the minute the Mets are dumb enough to fire Mickey Calloway I don't care what it is just tell Carl to go find a an assistant job on his staff like assistant to the pitcher's coach or something and bring Mickey in I don't care like 
I think I heard that the Mets are still going to ride out the season with Callaway. As they should, but they're just so gun-happy to just get rid of anybody when they don't do something in the first two years. Yeah, it's a New York market. I mean, their team is just not good. Outside of like a couple starting pitchers, they just don't have any foundation. They have some young guys that are not really... You know, accelerating at the pace that they would wish, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, and then in one of my favorite tweets that I saw yesterday kind of describes the season. This was from, uh, can I say Sports Time Ohio from their Twitter account? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Well, they they tweeted after Bauer was pulled last night. Well, this would be two days ago. Uh, eight innings, 119 pitches. Trevor Bauer has kept the Indians in it after giving up five runs. And so that that's the standard is giving up five runs, is keeping us in the game with this not good offense. It's actually the complete opposite. Maybe you could have said that in the years past where we had the winning streaks and whatnot, we had a good offense, and we were scoring six, seven runs a game. I guess, but how does that make any sense now? It doesn't. It really doesn't. I feel like it's more than anything them, like kind of the media, trying to tell us fans, like, oh, stay calm, everything's going to be okay. They're just like, no, it's it's not okay. I mean... I don't know if you can make the correlation. It's a media outlet trying to keep people engaged, especially with Sports Time Ohio. They air 95% of the game, right. 98% of the games. Right. I mean, I don't think I'm going to associate it the same way, but I mean, they got to keep a positive outlook somehow. Yeah, but I mean, it, to me, it's just terrible choice of words, especially considering the position that they're in right now. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I just. I don't know. Maybe they just put the wrong thing because I don't know how giving up five runs. I mean, that's not even considered going six innings, giving up five. That's not a quality start. So I don't know how you can even say that. Right. But I I wanted to parlay this whole thing is Carlos going deep. Oh man! Well, there goes my quality start. Thanks a lot, Domingo Herman. Um, <laughs> just completely lost track. So I wanted to parlay this. Well, you know, this is really awkward saying this as they're actually playing well against the Yankees. But if you are in a position to sell, at that point, you have to be like, okay, well, we're getting rid of these guys. They would be forcing their hands to bring young guys up because they don't like to do it. It's eventually going to happen. So I wanted to take a little bit of a farm system look at some of the big guys in our system. Not everybody because obviously we have a top 15 system, so it'd be hard to name everybody. But I wanted to name some Notable guys going around. So first off, we have, quite honestly, the guy I see as the future of the second base spot is Tyler Freeman. He's currently down at Lake County right now. Um, he was a second-round pick in 2017. Like He's definitely the second baseman of the future. He could see time at shortstop. He'll go in between those spots. But just with how he plays the game, I don't see him being as an everyday shortstop. Um, this guy's just been killing it, especially for the standard set for an average second baseman or middle infielder in general on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he's slugging over 450. That's perfect for his spot. You can't ask for much more. Batting average and on-base percentage this year are astronomical. He's batting 321 with a 390 on-base. Guy's finding his way on-base, and I was considering when his ETA would be. Now, it all depends on how they would sell, because, I mean, trust me, they've been trying for years to get rid of Kitness, but his deal just does not allow for it. So, you kind of got to play it out the rest of the year with him. Then his buyout's pretty cheap next year. You're going to need a stopgap because I don't believe Freeman's ready in 2020 to come up. Most likely in a lot of 
Baseball America people believe is that 2021 is the year you can expect Tyler Freeman to make his way into the majors. So a guy that I could see as a stopgap, we talked about him all spring training, is Yu Chang. Could not be, I mean, we talked about him as a possible shortstop villain when Lindor was on the shelf. He's been pretty well in Columbus. Well, everybody's been pretty well in Columbus at this point. I mean, we could name anybody on that roster, especially a guy we'll talk about later. Um, They're all hitting the ball very, very well. I just, I'm afraid when they sell, this could be a guy, or if they don't sell and they try to buy, they could use this guy as leverage and a lever, like trying to get a big position that they're looking for, and I think it would be a major mistake because it's been the topic we've been talking about for years with this team that they're mortgaging the future for a short-term run. And while it was worthwhile in 2016, look, that team had the magic to go. You trust right. in it. But the team last year, no. It didn't prove it in the long run. This team, especially this year, how could you? I'm just afraid they'll look at somebody like Tyler Freeman and use him as a chip. I think they're smarter than that to do that, but it's it's frightening. I, I would hope so that they're smart enough to to not do that. Because, I mean, we're at, we're at the point now where the window is... I think we can all say now that the window is shut for all intents and purposes. Oh, sure. Look, I, Any type of postseason... Breaking news. They're not winning it this year if they're making it or not. I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say it. I mean, barring any any type of magic that would be tenfold of what we saw in 2016, this team's not winning the World Series. That window that we saw is officially gone. So I, we do have to now look into, okay, how can we expedite the rebuild? I mean, you still had the count for like a lot of just randomness in that I mean the guy who propelled that opening series against the Red Sox was a home run in Boston by Coco Crisp oh Coco like that's what you were that's what you were counting on though and you're trying to tell me you need to count on that from about six different guys just in your normal rotation like that can't happen right yeah and if it does you know this is like Theo Epstein you just hit the lottery type stuff right well, then just with our starting pitching, too, like, because we were talking about this the other day, too, the the five guys that we started off our rotation with, we're down to two guys? Is that right? With Bauer and um, if Bieber. Cl- and Clevenger's going to be back well, within Clevenger's the next gonna week. Clevenger's going to be back, but... but Clevenger also missed a substantial amount of time this year. That's true. Kluber with a broken arm. Cookie's out indefinitely. But we can, we can parlay this into our topic about the farm system. So I, I think pitching is the most... Plentiful spot that this this uh, this team has right now. Tristan McKenzie, a guy we can talk about real quick, a second rounder in 2015. The big note on him is that he had a plus fastball with a nice changeup mix that he could go anywhere from 93 to 95 on the fastball and have a nice sweeping changeup with it. Um, the biggest concern coming out of school though was that he was rather slim. I mean, he's a big, tall body, but he was only like a buck sixty dripping wet. And I think he's only put on about five pounds since he joined the organization. Uh, since then, he's had he missed all of 2018 with an injury, and then he had to go through an extended spring training. He's currently in that right now because he had to be shut down in the spring because of a sore rotator cuff, which you never want to hear from a pitcher. But this guy projected to be 2020, in my opinion. A lot of people had 2019 before the season, which... Quite honestly, is fair, but I just don't think he's healthy enough to make that a realistic possibility. 
And I think the organization tends to be on the more, the safer side with prospects coming up with injuries. He'd probably, I'd expect to see him in sometime 2020. Right, yeah. And then a guy we could honestly put into the rotation right now that's not even on the list is this Savali guy that just got caught. Adam Savali, I believe is pronounced. He just got promoted up to Columbus, I want to say early this week. Could project as like a number four, number five guy in your rotation. Um, for most organizations, they'd be happy to have him as their call-up guy. And we just so happen to believe with everybody being healthy, he'd be like a seven or eight option, which is incredible to think about. That tells you about the, what you've built in this pitching staff. And we, we got to name guys like Plutko, who's had some good outings, not right. so much this year. He, he definitely has potential. Uh, I think a lot of it, too, was um, him kind of coming back from injury, too, so him just trying to kind of figure figure that out. And I, honestly, too, I feel like a little bit maybe he's just kind of rushed back due to the different injuries that we've had at the starting pitcher in the rotation. So I feel like maybe just kind of rushed back a little bit. But, I mean, I'm I'm least concerned about him. And then, of course, we got to talk about this Zach Plezak guy. He um, comes from a nice bloodline of Major League players himself, he had a very solid outing in that series in Boston that we talked about. He's currently having, as we're recording this, a very good outing against the Yankees. I don't really know what they... I'm thinking in terms of when they get everybody back and healthy. What is in the mind of the front office when it comes down to it with a guy like Zach Plezak here? Is he somebody that they're going to keep along however that may be? I think it's probably the best option. I like Jeffrey Rodriguez. And especially when he's healthy, I think his fastball is great. Mm-hmm. His command can be an issue at times, and that's pretty much what the scouting report says. If you're asking me, would I, and I'll ask you this question too, would you prefer Zach Plezak or Jeffrey Rodriguez as that number five guy when it comes down to it? Because I'm taking Plezak. I am too. I feel like Plezak has a little bit more promise overall. So therefore, I kind of want to ride with him a little bit more. Um, Which is weird because hes I don't even think he's in the top 30 of prospects. Yeah, he just—I don't know. I just—I just have a good feeling about him. He's just—he's so, solid. Right. I hate to use this comparison because honestly, their pitching styles not even the same. But Josh Tomlin in that 2016 year where he was just solid, he didn't right. really have anything that blew you away. But he's going to keep a, a quality start. He's going to get the six innings, hold you three runs or below, and give you an opportunity to win every single night. Right. Yeah. Like. I feel comfortable with that as my four or five. I like Rodriguez, and I think he would be a, a pleasant surprise in like the bullpen in a playoff run. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm sticking him in that rotation when it comes down to the time. No, not when it comes down to it, at least not right now. But because we have all this pitching depth, I think this is where we need to emphasize what in the hell was the front office thinking not trading somebody in the offseason? I, I in a way I feel like they might have been trying to ask too much. Oh, definitely. Go look and I've told you this multiple times. One of the top five hitting outfielders right now is a guy they probably could have got if they just did like him plus a low level prospect, mm-hmm. but they wanted more in in conclusion or in addition to this guy. And it was Alex Verdugo, who's out there in uh LA for the Dodgers hitting over three hundred. I mean, the guy's raking as a rookie. Right. And he he quite honestly could be in the hunt for rookie Deja in the NL. He's that good. But they wanted a lot more. They wanted 
an MLB quality guy like right then plus him. Right. For Kluber, who would, you know, people have seen what he's done in the postseason. They were weary of it. Yeah, I definitely think uh, Bauer at the point. In this offseason, Bauer definitely had a higher trade value than Kluber. Oh, as he should. Um, and also, too, since uh, the dra- the MLB draft just wrapped up, and you talked about uh, addressing the uh, the pitching in the organization. He, oh, my gosh, yes. He drafted 20, I think I counted, 25 of the 40-round draft. 25 of them were pitchers. Yeah, it was a very pitcher-heavy. I, I mean, that's what this organization loves to do. There's two things they love to do. They love to overstack on pitchers, and they love to overstack on high school kids. They love getting them out of context. This sounds really weird. <laughs> they love getting them young in the system right away and getting them rolling. That's a good cut. <laughs> no, but I'm being honest, though. They like yeah. the, the young guy because they can come in at 18, get built up in the system, and who knows, their ETA, they could be in the majors by 21-22 and get the most out of them. Yeah, and plus don't let them get any crazy ideas about doing some weird warm-ups or anything like that that might ruin their arm a few years down the road. But I, I, I like this because we can add this to the pitcher death thing. I mean, we're talking about our first-round pick, Daniel Espinoza, or Espino. You know, just some quick highlights from his high school career this season. He threw 44 innings pitched. His record was 9-0. His ERA was .32. His strikeouts were 109 to 9 walks. If you're scoring that at home, 83% of his outs were by strikeout. 83%. That is not humanly possible. Those poor Georgia high schoolers. Just getting and I mean, we're talking about a, we're talking about a state that's plentiful in high school baseball talent, right? And he just d- dominated. <laughs> like, I know he was not. Uh, he obviously was not the first pitcher taken off the board, right? Obviously, I think the Reds took the kid out of uh, TCU, the six foot six left-hander that resembles a lot of Andrew Miller to people. But I'm telling you what, this kid and I've watched some of his tape ever since we drafted him. And I agree with a lot of the sentiments around the league is that the Indians got to steal with this guy. He's probably the best arm talent in this draft. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's close. He, like Rodriguez, though, has command issues. Now, obviously, with those stats, it didn't seem to affect him as much because he can just overpower guys with his fastball. I think he can reach 100. His biggest thing is going to be command and working on that through the majors I would love to see him get up to Lake County at some point this year. Yeah. If he's on the fast track program. Although I don't think they will because he's 18 years old. I mean, that makes sense. But I would like to see him to get up to that higher level competition right away because I want to know if this is legit. I mean, obviously he's legit. He's a first round pick. Duh. Right. But can he take it up another level? And obviously he's not going to replicate those numbers, but can he keep up what he does well? And only time will tell. Only time will tell. You're right. You're right. There was a, actually, there was a clip. I, I, I'll, I'll try to find it while you talk. It was a, the LSU's head coach had some quotes about a guy that we drafted. Basically, they were expecting him to come in. He was going to play shortstop for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we took him either the second or the third round and fully expect him to not sign, come to LSU, and he kind of, Changed the tone. He's like, nope, I'm, I'm going to sign with the Indians. I'm going to go play with them in, the, in their system. And adios. And he basically threw a fit. Um, 
I want your opinion, and this can be just in general of maybe you can put this out there for Bundy and get him all riled up, but what is your thoughts on this system where basically the college system can get screwed over? The college system can be screwed over because guys can be taken at a certain point in the draft and they see dollar signs and that's all they want. Well, why do college coaches get upset about players getting paid when they don't get paid playing in college, but the coaches get paid a lot, especially an LSU head coach? I'm assuming his salary is well, pretty they, good. I think he's making like 4.1, yeah, 4.1 so million. Why is he pissed about someone else trying to get their money? I I, I don't know. I, I think because the players determine his success. I don't know. I'll be fine. He'll live. Even if he doesn't, he still has that $4.1 million salary to fall back on. Well, you're all right, old man. Yeah, it's okay. It, it's okay, old man. I mean, LSU's a pretty rich. Yes, uh, they are. They're a pretty rich baseball organization. I don't think just one little shortstop prospect's really going to hurt them in the long run. No, not at all. So uh, again, that just people being upset for no reason about what other people are trying to with their own decisions. I can't find it. That's disappointing. If you want to look it up, though, just look up like LSU baseball coach. Well, yeah, because I saw off. the saw a quote from that too. He's just like, well, I mean, I guess, guess taking one one million dollars is a lot better than going to class. Like, well, you're damn right, a million dollars is better than going to class. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, what kind of argument is that? Well, I, I'm just saying that's what the that was a quote from the what the LSU coach said. I mean, I didn't watch the full video, but that was the the thing that was taken out. There's a little quote Look, that they put in the tweet. He's got to spin it however he can. I mean, that's fine. He can be upset, but also at the same time, I don't feel bad for you. You're making millions of dollars coaching kids that are making nothing. Oh, man. I mean, I know the the whole paying college players is a whole other issue, but also at the same yes. time, like, I don't think you have a right to get pissed off about someone going out there and getting their money. I mean, there's not even full scholarships in baseball. Exactly. So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely if, if anything, ridiculous. that's not a sport that you really should argue with in. Uh, it's it's just ridiculous. All right, so when we come back, a lot of happenings. I was Googled eyes about OBJ in a Browns uniform, and it was spectacular. That's something that we've been dealing with for a while. You know, if we have guys that want to be here, they'll show that, they'll voice that. Obviously, you know, he's going to handle his stuff how he wants. Uh, but you're either on this train or you're not. It's moving. Uh, you can get out the way or you can join us. So uh, it is what it is. All right. And that was Baker Mayfield this week talking about the trade request situation of Duke Johnson Jr. And he was not holding back with those comments. And, you know, a lot of people on the social media, I, I tend to try to follow the pulse of the fan base a lot of the times. And I'm starting to get it more now with the Browns because, you know, it's a different era. It's a different mentality. It's a different ex- expectation for what you're supposed to see from this team going forward. And I was not surprised at the same time as being rather surprised that the pulse of Browns nation was that, you know, Baker needs to keep his mouth sh- shut. Baker needs to stop talking. What the hell does it matter if he's talking about a guy that doesn't want to be there? If he doesn't want to be there, get his ass out. I, I, If you want to be here, be here great. Do your work and shut the hell up. If not, don't talk to the media and talk, talk bad about us and cause a distraction. I am completely on his side for doing that. He's the leader. He's supposed to step up in that situation. Right. Do you want him to just sit in the back and be like Eli Manning and just avoid all confrontation at all? 
I mean, because if not, that's yeah. where, that's where you get Odell Beckham acting like a fool in New York. That's yeah. how that happens. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, Baker Baker wants one thing, and that's to win football games, and he's made that very clear. And, and as a Browns fan base, you should want that. That's exactly what you want. That's what you've been begging for, for the last twenty years, last thirty years. <laughs> I mean, as far as you want to go all the way back to the Bernie days. Exactly. All you, all he wants to do is win. And ultimately win a Super Bowl. And he's trying to kind of just nip things in the bud, especially with this Duke situation, which I'd say is our biggest biggest negative storyline that the Browns have going on right now. Right, is of course. That. And at the same time, too, it is, it's very important that Duke does do his job. Duke needs to do his job for the first eight Quick weeks. Quick sidetrack, but did you see uh, Sheldon Richardson? It kind of went unreported, but I saw the quote. He basically takes the blame for Gerald McCoy not signing there. Kind of like a scared-to-compete type thing. Uh, it was pretty funny. That's funny. It was pretty funny. I appreciated that. Yeah. Um. But no, I am totally on the side. I think this is just a, a bad situation for the Browns because there's, no, there's not a market for Duke. I've said this for a while, and I was kind of shocked that the deal he got back when he got it only because I— don't see the value as much as other people do. Yes, I know he's a pass-catching back, but we tend to overrate those guys. I, I've I've noticed in the past, like a Jay Ajayi, we've done that a lot with. Right. Uh, Darren Sproles gets it all the time. Yes, I know he's been around in the league a lot. He's old and he was still doing it, but it's not like he was that big of a piece of what the Eagles have been doing for the past couple of years. It's that fantasy PPR bias. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, that's the way because people think in a fantasy football mindset. You're exactly. totally right. Exactly. You're totally right. And I believe the market agrees with me in that. And I know this was a tweet that Benjamin Albright eventually deleted, and I actually caught it before he deleted it, but he pretty much said it's it's just a bad situation on both sides because there's really no market for Duke Johnson, and basically all teams want to give up for him is a sixth or seventh round pick. Right. And you know the Browns are not feeling comfortable with that. No, not at all. No. Absolutely not, especially with the value they believe he has. The only issue is is that they're so stacked at running back that he's not as elevated as the other two guys in front of him. Right. I mean, it. I also think this is a sign of the times that we have a player on the Browns. Isn't this a good thing? It, like, I know it sucks, oh, but it still is a good issue to have. Yeah, no, it sucks, but at the same time, it's like we have someone that's concerned about playing for them due to the level of competition within the team. That's a good problem. The only issue with that is it'd be one thing if Cream Hunt could play week one. The other, the, the biggest issue is we need Duke to be Duke for the first half of the season. Here's my question now is do, do you? Do you really need that? Yes. Did the Rams need that when they picked C.J. Anderson off the street? I, I think we need him. See, I don't think we do. Because what else? He's not running it through the tackles. I mean, he did that a little bit during his Miami days, but... He's not doing that here. Well, okay, so if we don't we if going into the season, if we don't have Duke, so are we just running Chubb into the ground for the first eight weeks then? Or are we just going extremely pass heavy? To I, try and I, limit I'm not the saying, of- I mean I, I think people are not giving Dontrell Hilliard the respect he could have as a third down or a third string back. He'll, right. He but, can behave uh, the exact same way. 
So, but in this hypothetical that you don't have Duke, so now from third string is now being bumped up to second string for half the season. I mean, okay, the biggest issue in why Duke doesn't have the market that he has is because the running back position as a whole doesn't have a market. I mean, it is one of the more plentiful free agent pools going right now. Um, I'm just going to look up real quick free agents that are running backs. Um, I mean, I think C.J. Anderson's one again. So, I mean, it's like you already know what he's done. So, so basically, then what you're lobbying for is Jay Ajayi. Okay, again, so but you're still going to have to address this Duke situation. Alex Collins. Yes, so, I understand that. And the market is a sixth or a seventh round pick. But here's the thing, that's especially what, especially on the team that's got to look at cap space down the line. You're getting rid of a long contract because you just signed Duke this past uh, the, uh, previous off season. Correct. You get rid of that for a sixth round pick. Now, you might not like that, but you need to for a lot of different reasons. One of them being that just Duke's not going to be able to work in this locker room. It's clear from the comments he made this week during minicamp. Now, you can take that, trade him, get that money off the books, and then sign someone like an Alex Collins here for the cheap. And you're telling me that guy can't fill in? I know know he wasn't great as the main guy in Baltimore, but that's the thing. He was the main guy. Like You don't need him to be that. Well, okay, but if they were looking into moving Duke, don't you think this is something that would have happened already? I mean, we're, what, two months removed well, now from the... Well, a little over, called a month and a half from the draft. I think they were holding out a little bit. I think they were holding out for, you know, the value. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess, but like also, like it's not going to change that much. It could. Uh, here's the thing, though. That's the crazy thing about it, is we aren't even into camp season yet for the most part. Like, think about it last year. Washington was scrambling when Darius Guys tore his ACL in camp last year. So basically... They got lucky that AP was on the market. So we're hoping for a an injury to a number one, number two back for, for another I team. I can't then. get in the head of John Dorsey, but I'm telling you what. I'm. It happens every year, it seems like. Okay. Well... But I mean, I'm just saying, if you go that far, and then say something like that doesn't happen, then you're still stuck with them. So then either a you're going to roll with Duke for eight weeks, or you're going to have to trade him for a sixth or a seventh, bring in another guy, and then at this point you're already midway, maybe done with training camp. I think at some point they're going to get rid of him, whatever the cost for the other teams going to be. I I can't tell you. They might settle on that sixth round pick at some point if they. Try to wait it out. Try to see if a team is in desperate need of a running back, which honestly the Buccaneers are right now. I just don't think the Buccaneers are ready to make the move for a guy like Duke at the price that the Browns are probably holding for him. Right. I just I just feel like they're in a sticky situation in which they can't. I feel like they can't put things off and hope that something will come up. Because I feel like if you're bringing in a guy that will be your number two for half the season, needs to needs a little time to adjust, get the playbook. Get all of that. My biggest thing, though, is like if that late round pick is what's being offered right now for Duke's skill set, it's not going to go away. Someone will still pay that regardless when you do it. The only issue is if he got hurt, which he does tend to do a lot. So, right. I mean, that could be an issue that comes up. But overall, I feel like that's like your safe, your, your, uh, your backup net? plan, your yep. safety net. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. You're not forced into it. But again, it's one of these big media narratives, media things going around. And with that was the big narrative that kind of got Freddie Kitchen's words twist up about Odell Beckham back during OTAs. 
Well, he came out firing and made sure everybody knew right away that um, they kind of twisted his words a little bit. It's voluntary, guys. All right? It's voluntary. You guys take comments that I make last week and turn it into something other than what the comment actually meant. I was looking forward to seeing Odell. I really was. He missed a lot. He understands that. But he didn't really miss as much as you really think because he's been studying every night just like these other guys. He just hadn't been here. All right? He felt it more compatible for his body to get in good shape and be at the best best that he could be when he got here. All right? I love that. I, I just, I mean, rookie head coaches tend to be a little bit more reserved, especially mm. dealing with the media. And I, I'm not saying Cleveland's a big media market and a big media base. It really isn't. But at the same time, it's not like... I don't know. Think of a small market team, like right. It's it's not like that. That's I. I'm going to fully enjoy his his pressers. Yeah, he. Kinda, I mean, he he embraces it all. I mean, kind of in this more or less in the same way I, I enjoyed Greg Williams' pressers last year once he took over, just because, or at least with Greg, is a little uh, a guy that isn't. I wouldn't say destined to be a head coach. I don't think he has the uh, the charisma be a head coach but he makes a hell of a defensive coordinator just because of how well that's a rough debate around for, the edge that's a debate for a different day he was actually very bad at the defense he was just good at getting on people's nerves right but i just mean he as, as a fan i mean we all saw hard knocks too like he he was right. yelling at everyone so let's not get too sidetracked but no i freddie kitchens is going to be fun his pressers are going to be fun to listen to I mean, I, I really enjoyed his quote, too, when he was asked about Duke. It's like, Duke Johnson wants to be traded. I want to win the lottery. He's a Brown, so he's going to come out here and do his job. I think he has something to do about that. I, I, I actually might have that right here. I don't have any comment to that. I don't know anything about that. I would assume that the head coach would be informed of that. And like I said, Duke is a Cleveland Brown. He's here. He's here. It's, it's mandatory now. He's here. So before it was not mandatory, voluntary. So he didn't have to be here, um, but he's here now. He's a part of the team. We're gonna have a plan for Duke, uh, and I expect him to have a good year. So that was on knowing if Duke Johnson was upset because the team tried to trade him. But this is also how he feels Duke and the Browns could get along just fine. I don't agree with it, but he believes it. Duke practiced today and he practiced hard. I expect Duke to be a professional, and I think he will be. He's never been anything but a professional. Um, Whatever his personal feelings are, those are his personal feelings. I'm not going to dictate someone's feelings, just like I've told you about other players in the past. Uh, whatever their feelings are, they're free to voice whatever they want to say. But Duke's a part of the team. All the other stuff's just hyperbole. I'm <laughs> the way he said hyperbole. Hyperbole. <laughs> no, but I mean, he he's being very PC with it, as you have to be as a head coach. You know, right. He's still on the team. He's on the roster. He's showing up. The mandatory camp you had to treat him as such right especially considering i don't know if the browns know exactly what they're going to do with duke so you have to prepare for i guess worst case scenario duke johnson is your number two running back going into week one and it's a shame though because i think the brown side of it with baker oh i guess baker kind of retaliated to what duke said prior to him but i believe freddie was being you know the pc browns you know he's on our team he's part of the team we're going to get along just fine while we're together. And it's like Duke kind of took this media opportunity to get his side out, to get his opinion out there, to kind of set his market and to kind of, you know, obviously he 
requested the trade, which he clearly confirms, but almost using this as like a leverage situation that, you know, I don't want to be here. So you got to get rid of me somehow, some way. Right. Well, I mean, I'll, see, there's I, what a disconnect in this whole thing's happening. Right. And see, I would like to think that, okay, well, you're not going to get what you want by not showing, oh, which great. Okay. You showed up to a mandatory mini camp, but like, him like refusing to like practice hard or play hard once we get into games. Like, I'd like to think that that wouldn't decrease his value. And obviously, there's a big difference between Duke and Le'Veon sitting out an entire year until he gets what he wants. So let's get over this home dibbly do whip de do sad part of this team, which is quite a fraction to all the excitement that's going around the one specific man. You know him, Odell Beckham Jr., and he's pretty high on the team. Obviously, he believes that the ceiling's pretty high. Words don't even really do it justice for being out here, um, and just knowing, you know, I'm I'm almost giddy. Like I'm almost like I feel like a little kid. Like the excitement that I have, seeing Baker, seeing these guys, seeing, you know, we talk a lot about this offense, but this defense is something special, um, and and this team is really coming together. But you know, the good part about it is it's only June. This was one of the best press conferences, regardless of whatever city he's been in that he's ever done. And to the point where his excitement's so over the top that I think he's giving fans cardiac arrest. Yeah. Well, I think I, I also described, when when we first got Odell, I believe I also ex- described myself as being giddy. Yeah. No, it's the... I think it's felt by every single person involved with this organization. Uh, it's an exciting time to be a Browns fan. It really is. Uh... I, this guy's just saying all the right things right now, which is perfect. If it can translate into this whole team being successful right away on the field, and I think you have a great opportunity to do that with your opening game, being a home game versus Tennessee. First of all, NFL, thank you so much. What a great warm-up game that is. Yeah. <laughs> we're in, This is 2019, and we're talking about Browns having a warm-up opening day game. Yes. Like, this is crazy to think about. And then week two is week two is going to be fun too against the Jets. Oh my goodness! And then week three, we know the special one. Week three is week one. I mean, that, well, that, that, I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean that okay, that's the game that if the Browns if the Browns somehow go three and zero to start off the season, we're cooking. I'm calling it week one because that. I mean, obviously everyone's excited for week one. Everyone expects the Browns to win week one. I think everybody, yeah. And for the most part, too, I feel like a lot of Browns fans are also expecting the Browns to win week two. Obviously, the stage being what it is, it'll be tough. But yeah, I, I do think so. So then week three is the first game where we we don't know exactly what the... We, we, we don't know exactly what to expect, but given the fact that it's a Sunday night game at home against a really good you team... You can't underrate how important having that at home is. Oh, absolutely not. It's the first Sunday night home game in how long? I think it was like 20 plus years or something like that. Exactly. So that's very, very exciting. Well, especially starting off 3-0 in that first eight, which people have been breaking up the schedule in terms of two halves. Like the first half is just brutal. You have the two night games back-to-back in weeks two and three. You also have the Patriots thrown in there. You have a matchup against the Ravens thrown in there. You also have the Seahawks in there. You have to go on the road to the 49ers. I think that is prime time too, I believe, correct? I think so. Something like that. But yeah, no, that's the first eight's really difficult. And if you can get through that, 
and I've been saying it throughout this preseason, if you can get through that 4-4, four and four, you're looking at minimum 4-4. Four and four. Well, and then plus two with the Patriots. We're coming off a bye week for that, too. That's huge, too. I, I can't be understated. So, I mean, I definitely say our two, two biggest games are the Rams, Sunday night at home, advantage Browns, and then the Patriots coming with the Browns going into that with a bye week. Again, that is a very large advantage for the Browns. Now, granted, we can go out there and play well and still lose. I'm not going to be upset about it, though. No, I, I don't. I mean, it's a 16-game season. I don't know if you can or not. I mean, and we're a team that's rather new to success. So I don't think you should be overreacting to a primetime loss here or there. I mean, it happens. Exactly. But no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I I just feel like fans will get discouraged if there's somewhat of a slow start at the gates because they just don't realize that the beginning schedule is just that difficult. Well, which is why I think especially week one and week two is so important. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, getting off the 2-0 you, is you got to get those two and then just kind of see where it goes. Like I said, I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll take all my chances against the, against the Rams. As long as you go... Uh, I don't know, four and two in the division because a lot of those games are backloaded in the schedule. Right. With uh, the Bungles. Bungles, you got the Ravens at home. I mean, that that week 13 game uh, at Pittsburgh is going to be tough just because playing in Pittsburgh is sure. always difficult. Absolutely. Then you come back from that and you play home against the Bungles at the Cardinals, which isn't concerning. Home against the Ravens, which... I like your odds playing yeah, at home. Yeah, exactly. And then again, in week 17 at the Bungles. So, no, I, yeah, that's not a bad finish at all. No, I love those last four games. I Yeah, like I said, I'm just curious with how the fans re- react because I don't, I don't see them being fire out of the gates because of what their schedule looks like. Right. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to go 6-2 and two in the first eight, but like I said, you got to start off with the right foot, go 2-0. and oh. And then, like you said, if you're if we're four and four halfway through the season, it's a good start, really good start. Right. And now it might put the pressure on them to say, think like, oh well, we already have four losses. I mean, ten and six one year, you didn't even make the playoffs. So right. I mean, I, mean, I feel like that's gonna it's gonna put a lot more pressure on you. I think, especially with those two Steeler games with two games within three weeks against them. I think it's gonna put a little more pressure on you to at least split. I think they'll go five and three. That's kind of in my call. Yeah, I, can, I went five and three and six and two in the back half. I have it at eleven and five, and I'm on the high end for a lot of people. Get me to nine and seven, and I'll be happy. <laughs> Give me a winning season. I mean, no ties. You, you, for the love of God, I cannot handle a tie like last year. Well, I mean, we almost had two of those. We almost had three. Well, yeah, you're right. We almost had three. Through the first five weeks last last season, we had every possible result possible. Win-loss, overtime win, overtime loss, tie. I know we saw a lot of difference in the final, what was it, eight games without Hugh. Mm-hmm. A, a, but, lot, a lot better football. Right, but it's still only a sample size of eight games. So right. I see the outside world kind of dogging on Browns fans and their optimism. I don't think they realize that the small sample size they're talking about, again, it was eight games, but it was the final eight games. Right. But they want to group the whole season together and say, oh, you still won 7-8-1. You didn't even have a winning season. Like, slow your horses, 10-6, and 11-5. First off, 
the NFL is one of the biggest leagues for going last to first in a division. Right. I think the NFC South for a stretch of like four or five years, I think it ended like last year. Last year was the last year that it didn't happen. Is the team that finished in last place the year before won the division. That's ridiculous. The next year. Like that's how much the NFL can flip on its head. Right. But we appreciate you guys tuning in. It's quite a lot of content for a rather short show. Um, it was a quite a long layoff between shows, between 15 and 16, so hopefully we get that a little bit closed heading in to number 17. But again, we appreciate you for tuning in. We will catch you next time, and hopefully the tribe are actually back in this. We'll talk to you later.